Hello, 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 and welcome back to an all-new episode of The Darius Show. If you're new around here, here's how we do things. My name is Darius, and each week I watch a show, I talk about that show, you listen, and you enjoy. For today's episode, we're going to be breaking down episodes one through four of Euphoria, season two. It's It's been a lot. It's been a lot this season, but I will attempt to break it all down and come to an overall consensus of everything, all the craziness that's happened so far in this season. So if you watch the show, I'm sure you're just as hype about it as I am. So without further ado, let's roll the intro and get right into it. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. All right, so Euphoria. Coming into season two, I had just watched season one of Euphoria just a few months ago, actually, and I had a really good time watching it. I didn't know what I was getting into. I just had heard that it was really good and that I really needed to give it a watch. And once I finally did, I realized what all the hype is about. This show is basically a 2020 version of Degrassi. It's everything Degrassi was, you know, the mix of the all the different high schoolers' lives and drama and twists and turns that ensue within it however it's like rated r as hell it's like the most rated r thing i've watched in a long time and season two delivers on that front and and elevates it even more this show is always shocking uh i often find my jaw completely dropped while watching the sequences that unfold and so it definitely made a strong impression with me after season one so i couldn't wait to hop into season two and just kicking things off the we have to talk about that opening scene of episode one it's when we finally get some backstory on Fez and we see his grandma who raised him and kind of the events that led to the situation that Fez is currently in. Uh, as a young boy, his grandma actually, <laughs> in a ferocious, uh, triumphant way, strides through a strip club and goes to the office where Fez's father can be found receiving fellatio from one of his employees and she shoots him right there in the dick. <laughs> Super crazy, shocking, uh, certainly on par with what you see out of Euphoria, but immediately we're just thrown into the situation and reminded that Euphoria does not pull its punches and it's not afraid to do the unthinkable. Immediately she starts raising Fez and it's revealed that she's the one behind this whole drug operation that Fez now operates himself. She kind of started this business and he ended up taking over for her once she passed away. We also are introduced to how they found Ashtray. It's kind of just a baby that they happened to be thrown upon them in their lives, and they really just took him in as one of theirs. It's very interesting. Ashtray and Fezco were certainly the most interesting characters out of the first season. We didn't get that much to play with them, but their overall presence is so one-note and so specific that every time they're on screen, I just can't get enough. Their intrigue was at an all-time high. Kicking things off with season two, actually getting a lot more context to their characters is a really interesting choice. It's immediately kind of uh, kind of giving us backstory on this character who's been a mystery this whole time, and that allows him to kind of step up as one of the main characters now. He In the first season, he, was, he made a strong impression, but he wasn't one of the main characters that were following their storyline. He was a B-level or a C-level character that just interacted with Rue sometimes. Season two, he certainly stepped into the forefront of the narrative, and I really appreciate it. What's also worth mentioning is there is a scene in this in this backstory for Fez that we actually see his grandma accidentally hitting him in the face with a baseball bat. And I think that I it doesn't outright say this, I don't believe, but I think that th- that what's being implied is that he received some kind of concussion or some kind of brain trauma that led to his overall disassociative communicative behavior that we see for the character today. I think that part of that came from that very moment, which is interesting. I don't know if we'll ever loop back around to that. Once we're done with this sequence, we cut to the present day where Ashtray is actually killing the big drug dealer that came to Fez's to do business. He didn't like how things were going and he took it upon himself to just start brutally killing him. Ashtray is a crazy character to introduce into Euphoria. I mean, I know he's been here since season one, but his overall role in the narrative, he is so scary and just as threatening as anybody else's. And it's so interesting that it comes in the package of this nine or 10 year old, whatever he is. He really holds his ground amongst all the other major characters in the story, even though he's such a little boy. He is killing it. 
Of course, this now leads to Fez, Rue, and Ashtray having to pull up to another drug dealer's house to kind of deal with the ramifications of the situation that was Ashtray killing him. So that kind of sets up the plot for them to play around with with this episode. They end up interacting with a crazy new drug dealer who we haven't really met before. She, similar to Fezco, is kind of devoid of any emotion. She's played super flatly, and you can tell that there's a lot to be had with her character. She's the boss, but in terms of emotion, she is completely one note. Later on in this in this season, we'll talk about it, she ends up becoming much more of a fierce character. However, while they're at her place, they're forced to strip naked and to prove that they don't have a wire or anything like that because they don't know these people. They just came up out of the blue. And Rue is on drugs for this entire sequence, a somber reminder that although she was making some progress in season one towards the end there, that she has fell off the wagon again. This this serious situation, the intensity that comes with these characters is a reminder of the other half of the story that's happening in Euphoria. And it's that Rue keeps getting herself in these crazy situations because of her drug usage where her life is being threatened or she's completely at the mercy of whoever is the biggest man in the room, which is certainly a scary situation. She finds herself in this situation time and time again, and I think that it's a bit of a foreshadowing of my, what be to come later on in this season. After this event, the gang rolls up to a big party that's happening, and this party ends up being the backdrop, the backdrop of the rest of the episode. All of our major characters, pretty much every character we follow in the series, is present at this party and it's a great way to kind of catch up with everyone hopping into season two to see them all in this one setting to remind us of all the different storylines that are happening and the different relationships that have developed in this time. Rue immediately starts looking for a place to do some drugs or find drugs and she she finds this new character named Elliot. Elliot just got introduced in the season we haven't met him before And he is definitely the biggest factor of season four. Uh, I didn't realize in this first episode at the time that he would end up becoming such a pivotal role. But at this point, he's a main character at the centerfold of our main character's plot lines. And I have a couple predictions on what's going to happen with him, but we'll get to that a little bit down the road. Um, So basically, they end up doing drugs together. And Elliot even makes a remark that he doesn't think that it was good that they met each other. Certainly a foreshadowing of some doom that's yet to come. Uh, while they're doing drugs together, it's like they're in a basement or a garage. Uh, Rue actually ends up overdosing. However, she, because she's such the experienced drug person that she is, she coaches Elliot into getting the Adderall out of her saw, crushing it up and feeding it to her to kind of get her out of the situation, get her heart moving again, which does end up working. So these characters go through Helen back together in their first interaction, which, again, is just a just a glimpse of what's to really come with these characters and their overall dynamic. Another major plot line for season two that gets introduced in this episode is that between Nate and Cassie and their relationship that develops. In this episode, they don't even really interact much until he happens to run into her at a gas station. And the audience will remember that him and Maddie are broken up at this point, at least technically. Of course, they I don't think they'll ever stop talking to each other for the duration of the series. However, uh, they are technically not dating. He ends up just offering her a ride. And at first, it's very normal. There's nothing kind of red flaggy about it. However, he's just slamming beers. And what we get is the tensest, one of the most tense scenes I've seen in the entire series as he's, you know, speeding down the highway, going faster and faster and tossing back more and more beer. Nate is definitely a character who has a bit of self-loathing in him. And we see this happen a few different times when he gets drunk. He gets really dangerous and really out of control. Very scary, very tense. It made me feel very unsettled watching that whole scene. But it does build some sexual tension between Cassie and Nate. And this starts the spiral that becomes of Cassie's character throughout this season. This is the inciting incident that really leads to a series of bad decisions for both of these characters, really. They end up hooking up at the party uh, and they're, until they're interrupted by Maddie actually having to come use the restroom. This delivers another intensely tense scene. Uh, Euphoria loves to play with your emotions. They'll make you feel, they'll give you one like super somber sad scene, then cut it with an intense sex scene, and then cut it with an intense horror scene, which is what we get here. 
as Cassie is hiding in the actual bathtub at a certain point while Maddie is using the restroom and later on uh, smoking with another character that comes in there. The, the entire time that this is playing out, my heart rate is just being jacked up completely at the fear that Maddie might find out about their little affair they were just having. She ends up making it out of the restroom undetected, luckily enough, and the only other scene we really get with her is her meeting with McKay, uh, the person that she ended up uh, not dating at the end of the last season. there was They had the whole plot together with their potential pregnancy and everything like that. So those characters have certainly been through a lot together. I really like McKay's character and him being in college provides a different like layer and level to kind of play with with the story. Um, however, after this first episode, he really isn't used again. He just gets relegated to an afterthought. I hope he comes back in the mix because I really like McKay. He's really easy to project yourself onto like every character in the series he's by no means perfect but he he has a good heart and he's kind of easy to root for but that's pretty much where we leave cassie's character with this episode that sequence is followed by a very unsettling interaction between nate and mckay at this point nate is completely hammered but the way that he really gets in nate's face excuse me the way that nate enters mckay's like bubble and gets all up in his face Pressing him about whether or not he just had sex with Cassie is just super toxic toxic and uncomfortable. He gets a little violent even with him, and red flags are just shooting off all over the place. It was a very weird interaction and a glimpse into the psyche of Nate moving into this season. What's interesting is I do think that the character of Nate is a really well-executed one. He somehow simultaneously is making himself the villain for Cassie, for Maddie in this season. He's already been the villain against Jules and Rue, um, and he's certainly about to be the villain against uh, Fezco. And we saw that happen at the end of season one. Fezco kind of threatens him, lets him know, if you mess with my people, I'm going to kill you. And, of course, Nate, that doesn't scare Nate too much, and Nate ends up going on the offense against Fezco, almost blowing up his entire operation. Now, in this in this episode, the entire time throughout all these events, you know, we're switching perspectives of all the characters throughout the episode. And Fezco's point of view is a very interesting one. He's at this party. He's kind of just chilling out on the couch and he's actually talking to Lexi. And their dynamic is the one I'm most excited for in this season. I would never have guessed that these characters would have a flirtation or romance or anything of the sorts. If you look on the board of characters that are all the same age, they're the most diametrically opposed on paper. She's the studious one, the good girl, whereas he doesn't even go to school and is literally a, a drug dealer for a living, you know? Uh, in terms of morality or whatever you want to call it, they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. But as we see in this episode, opposites attract. And their little connection and flirtation at that party was really electric. I, I'm rooting for them 100%. The whole time they're talking, though, you can see from Fezco's point of view that he, he's got his eye on Nate. You know, he, he's checking where he's at the whole time. Nate's looking at him, too. They both kind of have an eye out on each other. At the end of their interaction, Fez actually asks for her phone number. So that's a nice little W and perhaps a promise of, a, of some relationship in the future. Lexi's character throughout this season, her, her plot line isn't at the forefront, but her presence is being increased slowly but surely in each episode. And I think that we're going to lead to some pretty big stuff for her down the line. However, as soon as they're done exchanging phone numbers, uh, Fez is on his way out. You know, it's New Year's, yay, everybody does their thing. And he offers a drink to toast with Nate uh, to kind of put the bullshit behind them. That was all last year. And as soon as Nate's guard is down, as he's taking a drink, he smashes him on the head with the bottle uh, brings him to the ground and brutally beats him up, like straight up sends him to the hospital, knocks him out, could have very well have killed him. This was shocking. I mean, I don't know what to even say. Uh, Fez's character is so enthralling on screen, and he does so much with so little in his performance. You know, he's not overacting. He's barely saying anything, and he does all his acting just in his face and his tone. And somehow he was able to deliver the most shocking moment that I've seen in this series so far, and there's been plenty of shocking moments. The way that he just kind of took him out was definitely uh, cathartic to see as Nate is the resident asshole of the series. With all that happening, this the spotlight is really being drawn away from Rue, who in my opinion is the de facto main character of the series. 
And her plot line after that is just kind of waiting around and looking around for Jules. And these characters finally reunite in this episode. The last time we saw them interact, Jules was kind of leaving Rue in 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 pursuit of a more exciting kind of sporadic lifestyle. We saw them uh, leave uh, leave on a train. It was very dramatic. And there was definitely a lot of feelings undelivered from that scene. And they come together again. And fairly quickly, there's kind of another connection remade. As soon as they see each other, you know they're on a crash course towards each other. And it kind of ends there. You don't know exactly where they're going to be in the next episode. But it ends with them finally being back together. Elliot is also introduced in the scene. And just right off the bat, we can see that Jules does not trust Elliot. That's certainly Jules's initial reaction to the character. That's everything for episode one, though. A really fantastic episode. You know, they introduce a lot of new plot lines and reestablish all of their characters in an amazing first episode. Those aren't always the easiest ones to execute, but this one certainly recaptured my interest and got the spark of euphoria kicking again. But yeah, let's waste no more time. Let's hop right into episode two. Episode two picks up with a really interesting exploration into Nate's character. I'm kind of not sure what they did right here, and and for the, the rest of the episodes of the season up to episode four, which is what we'll be discussing today, I am kind of unsure about where we're heading towards this character. Is this the small inclination of a beginning of a redemption? I'm not sure, but we pick up with him. He's just been completely beat up by Fez, as we just saw, and we pick up with him in the hospital. He's in bad shape, but you know he's getting out and everything. And at this point, he's kind of battling with a fantasy of Cassie. Uh, You know, they had just hooked up for the first time and all of a sudden he feels like he loves her and he starts actually envisioning like a life with her, with kids and everything like that. Very interesting. And he's kind of weighing that against what his relationship with Maddie is. And we see this character exploring that and it kind of culminates in this really weird shot that I, this is what I don't know what to make heads or tails of. We get this close-up shot on his face while a baby is crying and is is this supposed to be a type of sign of you know he's gone through what he needed to and now he's being reborn again with a fresh perspective and now he can kind of grow in a positive way or is it that same explanation but now he's even worse than ever I don't know but something has changed for this character there's certainly some turning of a page happening with his character in this scene What we also see is that Nate and Cassie have actually started a secret relationship at this point. From Nate's perspective, it seems like he's playing just the big dangerous game. I think we also even get some uh, voiceover narration from Ruth that kind of underscores this thought. But he is he's literally just having fun bouncing between Maddie and Maddie finding out about Cassie and that kind of keeps Cassie in his pocket because he uses the potential guilt that she'll feel about the relationship to keep her coming back in a weird way. He's definitely gaslighting her, manipulating her in some way, but what can't be ignored is her involvement in this as well. She ruminates on how guilty she feels about it and then seconds later is running into the arms of Nate. Cassie's character, this is where she really starts to unwind and she starts to lose a little bit of her firmness as a strong individual she's losing her identity in this weird fantasy of what can be and what we see start in this episode which is a barrage of tears continues throughout episode four and i don't know how much more this girl is going to bend before she actually breaks but this is where it really starts this is where it really starts for her is when she starts to nurture this secret relationship where she goes out to meet him at random times of the night and sometimes he doesn't even show very interesting i'll check in with the character cat at this point as well because I think that she has this, the least bit going on right now. And even what I'm about to say right now is just her plotline for the rest of these episodes. And honestly, I think it's a recycled plotline from the end of season one. And it's that she feels very stagnant in her relationship. She's dating the good guy and he, there's nothing wrong with him, but she just doesn't excite him in that way. Excuse me. He doesn't excite her in that way. What we, what we saw from her character in season one is somebody who started to find confidence within their body. She is a little bit overweight, but she uh, finds pride in that. And she, she embraces the fact that she is beautiful and sexy and all that powerful stuff. And at first, their relationship starting was, in a way, allowing herself to believe that she could be valuable in somebody else's eyes. But after she fully believes that herself, she starts to not get much value out of this relationship. It's just too boring for her. And 
it's already clear in episode one even that she needs to leave this relationship, but that's going to be very hard for her because he's such a nice guy and that's going to break his heart. Again, no real progress is made. We get one honest conversation about it with Maddie in episode four and maybe in episode five we'll actually see that finally come to a head. But at this point, there's just really not much to be had there. That's the entire conversation. She wants to leave. She doesn't feel ready to leave. And they don't explore that in any nuanced way. Her character was a really cool and unique one from the rest of the cast in season one. But at this point, I think she needs a much better story to keep her engaged. One thing I do appreciate is whenever all the girls are kind of... There's a couple times in the season where we see all the girls kind of come together in one spot. We get Rue and Jules meeting up with Maddie and Cassie and Kat and everyone and even Lexi and everyone, all the different little factions. There is a core friendship between them all that I really do like and appreciate because it leads to these ensemble scenes that are just hilarious. Uh, the really The best one for me comes in episode three and we'll talk about that next, but... But yeah, again, Kat, I I want more out of her in this season. This episode is also when we start getting the Icarus plotline for Rue. Because Rue and Jules start a relationship for the first time. Super nice, super wholesome, love to see it, you know. I'm definitely rooting for that couple more than any other couple in the series. However, Rue, even though they started this relationship, is being completely secretive about the fact that she's been taking drugs on the daily with Elliot. She's completely fallen off the wagon of sobriety. At the end of season one, we got a uh, heart-wrenching interaction between Jules and Rue at the... It wasn't at the end of season one, but it was a big moment for those characters where uh, Rue had to confront her sobriety with Jules and her situation that she's an addict and everything. And Jules says to her, I can't have somebody that close in my life be like that because like all addicts do, you're running the risk of taking yourself out of their lives completely, and that pain is just too much. Now, Rue just kind of disregards this in the season. Uh, We know that Rue does a lot of emotional numbing, and that's how she's able to kind of live this life of duality with Jules. But she's having this relationship, and 100% behind her back is still doing drugs on a regular basis. Now, I say this is her Icarus story because... The second you see this happening, you know that it's only going to get worse and she's going to fly too close to the sun because you can't have them both, Rue. You can't have the love of your life and your drug addiction, which is the other love of her life. And we know that it's going to burn her in some way. And uh, the, the, the way that that happens, that has started to happen in episode four, and I'm sure we're going to see the full fallout of that in episode five. This episode, we also see more dynamics just specifically between Rue and Elliot. And Jules is starting to become friends with Elliot a little bit as well. She still has her guard up against him, but she's beginning to accept him a little bit into their circle. However, what we see between Rue and Elliot is a very honest conversation about Rue's past trauma and her relationship with her father and what it means to be addicted and what you can blame and attribute that to and all that good and interesting stuff. And Elliot ends up... ends up repeating the same sentiment that he did in the first episode and that's that he doesn't feel like we're I don't feel like we're good for each other that's a sentiment he expresses to her she says I feel like I'm okay with that and it's just another hint uh, a little reminder that where this character is heading can only be trouble even though he's so charming and likable Elliot makes a wonderful addition to the screen I really like any scene he's with this actor brings this energy to life in a very uh in a very tangible way but I just know at this point, my prediction had already been that I think he's going to OD. And I, and I think that even more um, as his relationship has gotten closer with Jules and Rue and them together specifically, I think we're seeing small hints of a potential uh, threesome relationship, a thruple, if you will. And I think at the height of them becoming close to him, he will OD and die. And that'll be the big tragedy that we're left with of the season. That's just my big prediction right now. He's so likable and cute that I think he's got to go soon. In this episode, we also get some backstory for Lexi. And we explore what her fatal flaw is for her character. And that's that she's an observer. She doesn't She doesn't chime in. She almost doesn't have... It's hard to say, Is it? does she not have the confidence or does she... Or, or what is it? I mean, they haven't really defined what exactly it is that stops her from achieving what she wants, but she, we know that she's on a path to becoming a more bold person. But yeah, again, we see her whole life, and, and it comes to a head uh, with her friendship with Rue. You know, she saw the beginnings of 
what was going to happen to Rue, which would be becoming an addict and, you know, falling down that tragic fate. She saw that, but she didn't intervene. And I think that's what informs her character is that she's scarred from that, that, you know, the the truth, the truly helpful thing she should have done for her best friend is blow it up. Tell her mom, tell her we're not going to be friends unless you stop, like put an end to it. But instead, she kind of enabled her by allowing it to happen. Uh, it's an unfortunate, tragic situation that there's no real answer to. And I, I think that that's what she has to overcome is ramifications for that. Now that I'm talking about this, I think that there's a clear comparison to how her relationship is with her sister in the latter half of these two episodes, episodes three and four. We'll explore that a little bit more, but she is witnessing her sister really unwinding and she can see all the trouble that she's facing and that mentally she's not okay. And she is slowly but surely trying to nudge in there and do something about it, but it's going to take a more active role than she ever did with Rue, especially for a sister who's so close to her. Will she have what it takes to intervene properly this time? We'll see. We're left on a shot of her working up the courage to go approach Fezco after they just had that, you know, striking interaction from the first episode. Uh, she goes over to the convenience store to kind of go hit on him, but right away that's when Cal, Nate's father, walks in to start to talk to him. Things get tense, she makes her exit, and that's pretty much where the episode leads off. Uh, I'm just going to roll right into episode three here because we pick up right where we left off there. Cal wants to ask some questions. Um, he ends up actually pulling up to their apartment later on in this episode and, you know, where Fez lives. And he's trying to figure out at this point, he knows that Fez was involved with beating up Nate, but he wants to know why, because he wants to protect his family. Very admirable, very reasonable. He's also looking for the disc and the disc is the sex tape essentially that has Jules and him having sex from the very first episode. This does not go well for him, and Ashtray displays that he is a crazy freaking threat again as he is, you know, Cal has this threat that he's going to call the police on them if they don't comply, and Ashtray just completely calls him out on his bullshit and says, he's not going to do shit, he ain't going to do nothing, and starts beating him with the gun, like, a lot, to the point where Cal definitely has a concussion after this. There's no way. He's just dripping in blood uh, from his head all the way down. And he realizes that the answers he wants is n are not going to come out of Fez and Ashtray. And I don't think I think that their story is pretty much done here. I don't think that he's got has any reason to circle back and come back to Fez in any way. I think that's more or less settled out. However, that, you know, blunt hitting of the head, I think, affects Cal's character in episode four. So keep that in mind when we make that discussion. I kind of blew past it, but the opening scene, the cold open of episode three, is actually a flashback sequence with Cal. This episode is really establishing who his character is, uh, really building him up of who he is leading up to this point. And then in episode four, we get the intense fallout of that character. However, we see that he had this best friend in high school, that they did everything together. And slowly but surely, Cal was coming to the understanding that he was gay. And this is explored not in words, but what we see in the subtleties between these two characters, their close relationship, the way they wrestle, the way they always want to spend time together, the, the soft looks that they give each other. There is a relationship between the two of them. And we see them live their lives and grow kind of older together, kind of grow up together. And then they head over to a gay bar one night. And again, they're not talking about what's happening. They're just kind of existing together. If you not paying close attention, you could think these are just two guys still hanging out, but the subtext is that there is something more behind what's happening just in front of us. They end up dancing on the dance floor together, and they slowly come together in a loving embrace and end up kissing. This is confirmation that Cal you know, is gay and has some unrequited feelings that he hasn't been able to explore. Part of this, you can't really blame him because of the times it was a little harder to embrace this part of you. However, it seems like in this moment he was ready to. That being said, the next day he learns that his girlfriend is pregnant and now he's thrown on with this level of duty and now he has to be a certain way for a family, you know. And especially when you look at the times that this is taking place, I see why this character felt like it was the right thing to do to kind of squash away his feelings and live in a facade. And I think the effect of this, you know, in, in theory, he thinks that he's doing the right thing, right? At this moment, he isn't doing anything bad. He's just trying to do what's best. 
However, what this does, you know, if you deny this part of yourself, it's not going to go away. It's just going to fester into something very negative. And I think that's the manifestation of his sexuality that he's been hiding from his family, his pornography, him having sex with trans children that are under 18. You know, I think I think that the show is trying to say that the reason he's so messed up right now is because he denied himself growing up. And I think I think that that is the danger of not living your truth is that your your facade will lead to kind of make a monster within you. Um, I think that's what's happening here. I think that's also what's happening with Nate's character. It, it can be said that's happening with Rue's character as well. She's denying, you know, she's living in a duality with her drug problem and isn't confronting that. And that's leaving out to fallage and breakage in her own life. You know, we can see this type of story being told in each character's life that, you know, they deny themselves and therefore they suffer. So very interesting. I think that he makes for a good um, worst case scenario as to what you can become if you don't accept your full self and strive towards personal growth. The next scene we get is super fun as we check back in with Rue and what we get with her character is a nice little surreal um, cut between reality and and what's being explained to us as the audience. I haven't mentioned it much in this review, but this is something that's very consistent in Euphoria, and it's one of the things that sets it out from just being an intense drama to being a work of art. And it's these surreal scenes where they can break the fourth wall with Rue's narration. In this episode, what we get are... Uh, how to get away with doing drugs when you don't want your family to do it. And she gives us, uh, or if you don't want your family to find out, she gives the audience a crash course in, you know, how to avoid suspicion and make red herrings and all that kind of fun stuff. It was fun getting that type of scene. I feel like we haven't had that type of humor delivered in the form of like a fourth wall break pretty much since season one. And it was nice to see that again in this episode. However, even though, you know, humor is at the forefront of it, what we can't forget is that Rue has completely fallen back into her addiction, her into her addiction to where she's just lying to everybody in her day to day life about it. So, you know, let's not get too comfortable here, even though it's nice and lighthearted. Piggybacking off of the praise I was just giving Euphoria for setting itself out amongst other shows with its surreal shots, there's also such an attention to detail to camera angle, lighting, uh, everything. Sometimes we just get shots, like literal just shots of characters in different places that are completely separate from the story just to give give us like a visual metaphor of the state that the characters are in. I think that this show is so intentional with how it shoots and and how it delivers its messaging. And it's dramatic. It's, it's, it's kind of, at times it feels like you're watching a Shakespearean play with how seriously it takes it and how high the stakes are. The drama that they physically weave around everything that's happening on screen is the reason why this show is as good as it is. I mean, any show can give you an enthralling plot about sex and teenagers and the different drama of their relationships, right? You know, it's not what's great about this show isn't just that it's not afraid to show you boobs and penises and crazy situations and teenagers having sex. That's not what's great about the series. What's great about the series is its unique point of view and how it approaches showing everything visually and its unique approach to storytelling that sets it apart and makes it special and honestly elevates it to art, in my opinion. This series is more like you're watching art than it is that you're watching just TV. Didn't mean to get sidetracked there, but it must be noted this series is very great and is doing very new things. At the beginning of this episode, Jules is kind of attacking Elliot with questions because this is the height. The beginning of this episode is the height of her suspicion of Elliot. She doesn't understand why he is, you know, so cool and aloof and he must have feelings for Rue. You know, she sees him as a threat at this point. And he does admit that he has a bit of a crush on Rue. I, I like that he admits it in the scene. And the way that he holds his ground while being questioned, I can see why any girl falls in love with him. I'm damn I'm damn near close to jumping through the TV screen and attacking them in that scene. He really he he keeps his cool in the scenes that they have between Rue, Elliot, and uh and Jules inside of his uh, basement is it his basement or is it an attic I think it's more like an attic but they love to throw them on that bed with the with the sun peeking in from the window from behind just for these very intense and slow moving scenes that really try to draw you in they're they're very well done 
and they really stick out as a very unique setting for them to return to multiple times over. We see those three characters really start to have fun with each other. They go out on a wild ride around the town as they start to play high stakes truth or dare with each other. It doesn't ever cross any lines, not yet at least, but it sets the groundwork for what they what their dynamic as a trio is. I'm definitely at this point seeing heavy thruple vibes from them. And I at the end of episode four, I don't know if there really is a path forward for that. However, it's still something I'm very opening to seeing within these characters. Something I wouldn't have thought I'd be open to seeing, but at this point I want it to happen. Checking back in with Cassie. She has continued this secret relationship with Nate. However, Nate has been growing more and more distant with her, or at least he's been just taking advantage of her, really. And this is also the episode that we start to realize that he is actively still having another relationship with Maddie on the side. You know, it's it's not over. <laughs> he's effectively playing both both of these girls and they're best friends. And and Maddie's the only one who's really on the dark about it. Nate is still an asshole. <laughs> He is just such an asshole. It is ridiculous, but the the tension between these characters are rising, and we see the guilt building in Cassie as well. And this guilt starts to fester and starts to really take over her mind and drive her crazy. She starts waking up at 4 a.m. every day to do her makeup and make sure she looks really good. This actress, Sydney Sweeney, is very beautiful, but the way that they play her up, you know, she starts doing her makeup very ridiculously and... It's weird. She dolls herself up, but her acting, she's still able to convey a mess. Like everything about her overall appearance is all on point. The hair, the boobs, the everything, the outfit, except for when you look just into her eyes and her mouth, you see how much pain she's carrying with her and she's trying to just swallow it and put herself up on this pedestal. All of these, all of these actions she's doing to herself are going to catch up. I mean, that you really start to seeing, see her just go crazy. This culminates in one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in the series. And it's when all the girls convene in on each other on the bathroom. Lexi is starting to do a play. It's like a take on Oklahoma. And they're doing like auditions for it. And everyone starts to accuse Cassie of trying out for Oklahoma because of how ridiculous she looks. This t- catches her off guard. She didn't realize that she looked so ridiculous. And seeing all the characters in on the bathroom together, at least all the females, that scene had so much energy to it that I want to see these characters play off of each other more. Rue typically is only ever interacting with Jules, maybe with Fez, and in this season with Elliot and maybe her family. But as far as the rest of the high schoolers are concerned, we don't get to see her play with them very much. Even Jules, we see her play with them a little bit more, but she's usually just with Rue. Seeing the characters all be together just has so much funness to it. And there's a bit of there's a, a fantasy moment where Cassie imagines blowing everything up and explaining to everyone that she has a secret relationship with Nate. However, it's just a fantasy. They caught me off guard there for a second, but she swallows her pride even longer and goes further within her deception. Now, in this episode, Rue has a brilliant idea, and that's that she should become a drug dealer. That way she can make money and she can, you know, keep getting high on her own supply. She ends up trying to talk to Fez and he's like, hell no, I'm not going for that. Fuck you. You know, Fez wants to do everything in his power for Rue not to become a complete drug addict and overdose. But against his wishes, she ends up going to the female drug dealer that we met in the first episode. And she pitches her idea to this drug dealer. And that's, you know, Rue has a network of popular females that she can trust or at least has access to and her plan is to basically use these females at the school as as a drug team you know they'll peddle the drugs and no one will see it coming because they're a bunch of 16 17 year olds it's honestly a fairly genius plan and at this point we haven't seen it get put into effect however i think that it would be a wonderful transition for the series to make is for all of the powerful girls that we've gone to know to start running their town and start doing, you know, peddling drugs themselves. I'm really excited for that potential fantasy, even though it has yet to come into fruition. The drug dealer agrees to the idea and fronts her like $5,000 worth of drugs, I think. That being said, before their interaction ends, she is, she's, you know, she reminds Rue that, you know, if you're going to get into business with me, it's business with me. And if you screw me, I have people that will do very bad things to you. 
a very scary threat with a lot of different implications coming from this woman. And the threat is made all the more chilling with her deadpan one note delivery without any emotion on her face. I'm terrified of this woman. And if Rue doesn't get her shit together soon, she will be on the bad end of that interaction. Immediately after this, Rue has the balls to roll up to her AA meeting with her briefcase full of drugs. Very bold move. Uh, Ali immediately jumps on her and starts asking her what's in the briefcase. Ali is a character I have yet to mention so far. He's super interesting. He is basically Rue's sponsor, and he has taken a vested interest in her life specifically. You know, he wants to look out for her, and he we constantly see him checking in throughout the show kind of as the moral compass for Rue, and Rue typically doesn't want to listen to him. She doesn't want to hear what he has to say, but what he delivers to her is tough love. You know, he questions her. He starts really getting on her ass in a very aggressive way. Um, this might seem absurd, like how aggressively he's hitting her and, you know, using swear words and raising his voice at her. But as when it comes to sobriety, I do think that this tone is necessary. Uh, I personally have attended AA meetings myself, and I know how dark of a setting it can be and how hard it is to get to people at certain points. And we see their interaction really start to explode. And in a very aggressive way, he says, you know, if you talk back to me one more time, we're done. You know, you don't bring personal history into this and all this type of stuff. Rue just cuts him down at the knees. She ends up insulting him with the insecurity that he has of, you know, ruining his own life and his relationship with his daughter. She brings that up and just insults him and completely disrespects him. This cuts him down. This cuts right through him. And we immediately see him start to cry and just look completely hurt by this. Uh, what Rue's doing here is kind of burning her bridges behind her. She doesn't want to leave her bubble where she's doing all these drugs because to do that would be to admit and face all the other pain that she has to experience in her life. And she's just not ready to do that. So instead what she does is she hurts the people around her. We see her repeat this pattern again to Jules in the next episode, but she completely closes him off to her, someone who only wants to help her and get her better. She she shuns him out of his life. Who knows when we'll see this character again? My prediction is probably towards the end of the season, we'll see Rue come back to him, and he will display compassion as I know he's capable of doing. So we'll see where we pick up with that. All right, here we are, guys. Episode four. This is absolutely my favorite episode of the season so far. It's definitely where most of the plot has progressed, and we're starting to really see what the major themes are that we're going to be confronting in the season. The first shot we open up to is a series of multiple shots and imagery of Jules and Rue's relationship. At this point, she's narrating their love, and it's very lovey-dovey, and we just see a lot of different styles of shots. Some are them basically on the Titanic. We see them being Sleeping Beauty in her prince. Uh, we even see them, uh, there's, there's a series of different shots of them all lined up. And if you look at it, if you actually look at the individual scenes that they're replicating, in all of them, Rue is placed as the fictional character who would die or sacrifice themselves in some way, shape, or form. I really hope that this isn't sending us death flags for Rue. Um, I don't see how the series will be able to really progress. It would be a bold move. However, I think that her just overdosing over and over again isn't as interesting either. So if she did pass away, that could be an interesting thing to play with. However, we it's clear with all this imagery that Rue will be the undoing of their relationship. So that's just an interesting place to set the tone with in this episode. We cut to the two of them hooking up in the bed and Jules is going down on Rue. However, Rue is so high off the drugs that she can't feel a single thing. She says she might as well be licking her ankle for all she could tell. And she, what she ends up doing is faking an orgasm, something that Jules picks up on immediately. And this is definitely some good, funny humor coming from Zendaya here. And her her, her fighting through her drugs drugged state to fake some level of orgasm was just so ridiculous and not selling it whatsoever. <laughs> But again, getting this as one of the early scenes of the episode, again, it's just setting the tone for what we're about to really explore in this episode, which is the wreckage between Jules trying to have her relationship and her relationship with drugs at the same time. And by Jules, I do mean Rue. The next scene we get is between Jules and Elliot as Jules is starting to lament to her to him about 
the situation she just experienced with Rue. And what we've seen slowly is a flirtation between these two characters. And it's turned up to an 11 in this scene. I mean, the second they started looking at each other as Elliot starts to show how to eat out a girl on Jules's hand, you know, and they do it back and forth. It's so obvious that these characters are going to hook up. The sexual energy between the two of them is just on fire. And predictably, they do kiss in the scene. They start completely going at it until Rue calls him and lets him know that she's outside. Um, leads to a funny little gag where the two of them both have to put their pee- tuck their peepees in their underwear uh, to hide the fact that they have raging boners, you know. Uh, interesting. It's interesting at this point that Elliot is at the center of two big secrets of this couple. You know, Rue is doing drugs with Elliot behind Jules' back, and at this point, Jules and Elliot are hooking up behind Rue's back. Now, if you know Rue's character and with some of the scenes we get later with these characters, I don't think that Rue necessarily would mind. However, it is a secret, at least as far as I'm concerned. There's there's no moment where we see Rue knowing about them hooking up. And so it's interesting. Elliot is a crazy character. He's super likable, but he is most likely going to be the center of all the drama we get between Jules and Rue in this season. It even calls into question, Does this is this show really about exploring everybody's fatal flaws? You know, Rue's fatal flaw is that she just can't resist drugs, you know, that she's an addict. And Jewel's fatal flaw might be that she can't be in a monogamous relationship, at least not a traditional one. I think everything we've seen from Jewel's character is that I don't know if her personality is able to just exist in one relationship and that's just the only person she hooks up with, especially when Rue has a low sex drive. I mean, it's as much as I want to see these characters together, I think that they're going to have to find a creative solution for it to actually work out. I don't know if, if Jules ever could be loyal, honestly. And again, this is the last time I'll say it, but I'm calling it. They might be in a throuple, but certainly I think that Elliot is going to OD. It's going to be tragic for everyone, especially now that Jules actually likes Elliot too. And if I could take another moment to praise the artistic vision of this show, the next scene that we get is a slow panning shot of a bunch of the girls gathering together to celebrate Maddie's birthday. The shot that we're being shown literally for like 60 full seconds is just the girls coming and bringing a cake to her while they film her and sing happy birthday to her. Something that's super mundane and that I've seen on my Snapchat story pretty much every day. I mean, it's a totally normal moment that every girl group has experienced. And it's just the way that they use the lighting and the shotting, the shooting, excuse me. They give time to check in on every character that's present for this party, checking in on their point of view and their plot line that's moving around in this undercurrent. And somehow I found it so entertaining. Again, I would never be entertained by just watching girls hold a cake and sing happy birthday to their friend. But the amount of subtext that they're able to communicate by spending time on each character's face, really well done. It's just another shiny example of why this show sticks out amongst other shows. The drama that's happening at this party is that, of course, Cassie is Maddie's best friend. And Maddie doesn't know still that Nate and her are having a secret relationship. Of course, Maddie and Nate themselves are starting to foster and build towards a relationship again as well, seemingly. And so he's effectively in the middle of the both of them. Nate is also on his way to the birthday party where Cassie is and Maddie. And in expectation of this, Cassie just starts downing alcohol. You know, she's preparing for the worse. What we saw earlier between those two characters, Cassie and Nate, is an explosive interaction where... After hooking up, you know, Cassie's feeling all guilty and Nate just calls her out. He says, you know, you act like a victim, but you're not. You're the one who's screwing your friend and fucking her ex-boyfriend and all this stuff. You're a terrible person. Really just coming at her. And the logic that she bounces back towards him is insane. Not that he's not insane, too. I mean, everybody involved in this situation is all crazy cuckoo cocoa pants. But what she says back to him is that he is so toxic for Maddie that she will do anything in her power to stop her from being with Maddie because that will hurt her, her best friend. And this is what she hangs her motivation on, that she's doing all of this to protect Maddie from Nate. Yeah, right. Bullshit. Whatever. I mean, we can see that she's really grasping at straws for a justification on why she's not the villain here. And, you know, we see her crying and everything, and she wants to maintain in a victim mindset in this situation. And in a way, she is because 
Nate is feeding on her insecurities here. But what I think she's really trying to do is, again, grasping at straws to build some kind of defense on why she isn't a villain in this situation. Cut back to the party, and she's just visibly getting worse and worse and drinking more and more uh, until the point where she ends up throwing up in the jacuzzi with everybody present in it. And she's just repeating that she's sorry as she continues to throw up on herself and in the water and how she ruined everything. I've certainly seen this before. Um, it was a scene. I'm surprised that they really let Sydney Sydney Sweeney go here and let her character really become kind of gross and pathetic in this moment. I mean, this is really the lowest of the low, and I don't think that I don't think that things are going to get worse for her. I think that she's really going to come to terms with her situation after this. But she has just slipped so much and lost so much self respect, and now to just throw up in front of everyone and get that public shame. It felt like all too real. I've seen situations like this happen in my personal life and uh, allowing her to get that grotesque with it was a bold choice. (laughs) Now, before I get into the cowl of it all, because I do think that his plotline in this episode is the most rich and the most interesting to talk about, I want to talk about everything else that happens in this episode between Rue, Jules, and Elliot. So, you know, cut back to Elliot's house. They're all hanging out. They're having a good time. And slowly what starts to happen... There's actually a really dynamic scene here. I didn't want to take too much time to talk about it, but I do think it's worth going over. The three of them are hanging out, and then Rue says, I gotta pee, and so she steps out. In her absence, she is, um, Elliot and Jules start making out a little bit. We see that the sexual tension between those two characters is at an all-time high, and at this point, still to the secret of Rue. And they say, you know, should we all just fuck? I don't know. Rue comes back out, they stop kissing, And then immediately, Elliot says, I have to go pee too. And then we follow his point of view this time into the restroom. We don't know what's happening between Jules and Rue. And then what we get revealed in the restroom is that there's a line of coke waiting for him on the counter. So (laughs) not only are we at this point, there's a lot more happening in this scene. But at this point in the scene, not only have we played with perspective between these three characters, you know, Elliot, first Elliot goes to the bathroom. Excuse me. First, Rue goes to the bathroom. Then Elliot and Jules have their secret little thing going on. Then we follow his perspective into the bathroom, seeing whether or not he is going to do the drugs. And it confirms to us that Rue just did some drugs behind their back. You see all the different secrets that are happening? (laughs) Whatever. Then he actually blows the coke off of the counter. He doesn't take the line, which is a super interesting character choice for him. At this point, we know that he's just an addict just as much as Rue is. But with this much excitement in his life, um, he's able to make a sober choice, a very strong decision for this character. Um, What's interesting is Jules is kind of that chemical X. The first time that Rue's able to get off of drugs, it's because of the time that she starts to spend with Jules, and we see a very similar thing happening here with Elliot. I don't know. I don't know if that's an intentional um, attention to detail or not, but something I kind of noticed. Now, we continue to follow Elliot's point of view as he enters the room, and then Rue immediately starts kissing him, and uh, so that gives us a clue to the conversation that was happening while he was gone between Rue and Jules, and that she was daring Rue to kiss him. Now, this leads to a wonderful hookup scene that almost goes far, but it gets cut just a little bit short. However, I just think that the way that they pulled off the scene, they communicate so much in just about two and a half minutes, if that, it's probably even shorter than that. Between three characters, there's like six dynamics dynamics happening, and it's all happening in real time, and the rhythm of this is just so alive. And again, this, this series, the way that they approach doing these storytellings, like in this way, is just so unique and they're elevating what a drama series can be in my opinion. I mean, I think that this is really upping the standard for what a good drama series should be able to cultivate in their storytelling. Now, what happens next, I can't really defend for Elliot. He starts to make some decisions that are really unwise. Basically, because of the drugs that Rue is on right now, he knows that she shouldn't drink like at all. However, he's the one who has the idea we should go get some alcohol. And when they go do this, they're not only getting the alcohol, they're stealing the alcohol, which almost goes really dicey. He's trying to make a distraction while Jules steals it, and it almost goes well, but they end up having to run out, cause damage to the actual store, and their car door actually gets a baseball hit to it. They were that close to getting really hurt in this situation. Uh, I think what's being communicated in this is that 
uh, the nature of their relationship that's happening right now between these three characters is getting dangerous. And if they continue down this path, it's only going to lead to more damage. Of course, they do. And on their way back, Rue starts drinking some alcohol. And of course, that's sending red flags to him. You know, there are drugs that exist that you can't mix with alcohol. That things get very dangerous very quickly, you know. And he starts to call her out, which leads to Jules calling her out because Rue is supposed to be sober at this point. In my opinion, though, I mean, it's like Elliot and Jules. Do you guys really need to go steal a bunch of alcohol right now if if you're trying to have your third friend who's going to be here the whole time be sober, too? It's like you should have some level of solidarity or awareness. I mean, it shouldn't have taken this long for you to realize that she's sipping on the beer back there. But that's besides the point. Uh, Rue of wanting to avoid this argument altogether because she knows that it will only end with her being caught. She demands that she leaves the car and gets kicked out. And of course, Jules doesn't want to do this. And so Rue has to lash out just like she did at Ollie, just as we saw her do to her parents and her sister in season one. She lashes out, pushes them away so that they can't confront her about her drug usage. She says to Jules, I don't want to fucking deal with you. I don't want to talk to you. I'd rather just be home. Very hurtful words to her. And and then she just gets left on the side of the road while she's on these drugs and mixing them dangerously with alcohol. The fact that Elliot even was willing to pull over and let her out, I think, is a really big asshole move. I don't know if they're trying to really convey that with this character. It didn't really feel like that because immediately we see her sneaking into her house, but... Even just looking at her physically climbing into her house, I don't think she was safe enough to walk home. And it wasn't like she was in the middle of her neighborhood or anything. She was straight up on the side of the road. So she certainly had some distance to travel. It just makes me question Elliot's character just a little bit there. The two of them don't stop hanging out. Elliot and Jules go back to his house and they end up assumably just straight up having sex. And I mean, this was definitely a long time coming with Jules when that level of attraction is established. There, It's a smoking gun that's going to go off at some point. And again, uh, the interaction between them is electric. It's just as seductive and hot as all the other seduction scenes that this show loves to just deliver on. Uh, it pushes the envelope a little bit. I would say one of the things I don't appreciate about the show is just how sexy it tries to make itself. Me, just as an adult, you know, the context that I'm supposed to be watching 16 and 17-year-olds, even 15-year-olds sometimes just get naked and have sex is just a little unsettling. And it's not, you know, it's shock value and it, and it keeps cultural conversation and general intrigue up. But I don't think it's necessary for this show to be as good as it is. It's The show is as good as it is despite uh, the fact that it loves to just show a lot of... Uh, over-the-top sex scenes, in my opinion. I appreciate its commitment to being real and raw and not not, not showing you anything, but at times it feels like it's unnecessary. As soon as they're done hooking up, Elliot ends up revealing to Jules that he and Ruth have been doing drugs together this whole time. Post-not clarity, he just couldn't keep it a secret from her anymore. This leads to her immediately storming off. I've noticed... I don't know if this is supposed to be a consistent uh, detail to her character or if this is supposed to reveal anything towards Jules's character. However, every time she finds out something that she, you know, if she feels betrayed, anything, whatever it is, once she learns new information and she doesn't like it, she never stays there and questions it or tries to figure it out or ask questions. She always runs away. That's always Jules's reaction. She, you know, Here's this, and then she just flees the scene of the crime. I hate that. I don't know. Something about that just, I find that really annoying. Whenever you're just upset by something, you, instead of having a conversation and get more information, get more context, the other person will just completely flight it completely. I don't know. For some reason, that always annoys me, and I don't know if it's intentionally consistent for her character, but it's something I've certainly picked up on. Okay, now let's get into the cowl of it all. At the beginning of this episode, we see that he's drinking a lot. And the first shot we get with him is playing off of Nate. We don't know if he has a concussion at this point or if he's just that silly drunk. But the bandages on his forehead from the injury he took from Ashtray is very noticeable. And it seems like it's a mix of concussion and, you know, just being absolutely wasted. But what, what he ends up doing is just insulting Nate. And Nate really just takes it on the chin. He doesn't lash back out at his father. You know, Nate is a very flawed character. And in many cases, he's the 
unequivocated villain of the series. However, when they play Nate off of his father, it's easier to see that Nate is actually doing his best despite the situation that he's been raised in. His father is terribly toxic, puts crazy expectations on him, and just doesn't have a good relationship with him at all, really. However, you know, Nate is able to, at least as it pertains to his father, he is a more, uh, he's a fully more grown person and has a lot of emotional maturity in how he handles that situation. Cal ends up going on a drunk joyride. And, you know, at first, I think he's trying to kill himself. We've seen him talk about wanting to put a bullet through his head multiple times. He's even had that fantasy in episode three of it of just going upstairs and just shooting himself. And so him being completely hammered and driving down the road, swerving left and right, being very reckless, I think that he just does want to die. Um, However, what we start to see is him experiencing his own version of euphoria. For some reason, he's able to get into a blissful state as as he's super drunk and driving down the highway with the wind hitting his face. He's just having a great time. For some reason, he feels like he's recapturing his youth, maybe his freedom in some way. Uh, some dialogue later on does imply that what he's lacking in his life is feeling free to do what he wants to. So what he ends up doing is actually pulling up to the same gay bar that in episode two we got the backstory of where he had his first gay experience, where he first danced with and kissed his best friend way back in the day. And he, at first, he just starts being really weird and just standing in the middle of the dance floor until somebody ends up coming up to him and hugging him. And in his drunken state, he fully embraces this person. And in his mind, he's seeing his old best friend. And he's living in this weird fantasy where he's kind of reclaimed him. Now, my question is, where is his best friend? Is he still alive in present day? Are we going to see him? Where is this his adult self? Is he going to turn out to be somebody else's dad? Oh my gosh, guys, what if it's Rue's dad? That is a crazy theory I just had. We haven't seen Rue's dad's face. When we see him, we just get side glances of him. We know he's a white guy. We don't get his full profile. I'm calling it. That's the tragedy of it. You know, Cal says in his drunken state, he says, I thought I lost you forever. Maybe that's because the truth of him is that he passed away already. And Rue's dad could be the same guy. I think I'm onto something here, guys. You heard it here first on the Darius show. But anyways, once that's done with, what ends up happening is he challenges the person that he's dancing with to a wrestling match as his toxicity, weird, ego, toxic male self starts to come back out. And he starts challenging everyone to a wrestling match, the owner, the security, and it ends up getting him kicked out. And he starts freaking out in the in the driveway and then he pulls out. What happens next, you know, watching Cal throughout this episode, it's a lot like watching Cassie and like watching Ruth is at the beginning of the episode, you can see that things are bad and then they just keep getting worse and they just keep on keep on getting worse and they snowball and we see them crescendo into all really just hitting rock bottom. The next one that we get is with Cal, like I said, and he comes back into his house. He starts pissing on the floor and waking up his whole family. This is when he really drags them all through the mud and he starts to call them all mistakes. He's blaming his children and his current family on why he was never able to have a happy life. He was always bound to them and they took it away from him. You know, he says that Nate was a mistake. His other son, he's seen his porn history and it's grotesque even for somebody like Cal, which is saying a lot how he's a homosexual, how he had his first sexual experience at while his first son was in the womb of his mother and how he regrets his entire relationship with his mom. He basically blows up everything. He says, fuck you to each family member and leaves nothing behind but a pile of piss in their living room for them to clean up. He is spiteful towards his family. He not only like ruins their night, but ruins their lives and the trauma that he just dumped on all of them will definitely stick with them for their whole life. This this scene is easily the most brutal scene I've seen in anything. Like, I've never seen a parent depicted communicating to their family like this before, and it was very hard to see. Uh, this is definitely going to make Nate a very more humanizing character because however bad he is, he is not as spiteful as his dad, and that's what he's come up with. Um, very, very tough to see. He leaves his family, and I can't imagine what's next for his character. Is he just going to go kill himself? Where is he going to go? 
I mean, we still have a lot of plot left to be had here. And for him to end on just this note, you got to know something else big is coming down the pipeline. But I can't imagine what now that he's really just made himself the biggest villain in the world and, you know, whipped his dick out and all. I just don't see what's next for his character. But yeah, jaw dropping to say the very least. This was for many reasons one of the most shocking episodes of Euphoria I have seen yet. Uh, one a couple other things I do want to highlight before I get uh, before I'm done with this conversation. We get a powerful scene with Cassie at the very end. She's in her room with a bunch of flowers all around her, and what we see is a still shot of her looking devastated in the face, but everything around her just looking absolutely pretty and flourishing with the flower backdrop. It feels like a Renaissance painting. There's so much emotion there that she's yet to confront that I'm sure we're ready to wrestle with in our following episode. That shot was just a very strong artistic choice that that sticks with me even now when I think of the episode. The other really strong surreal choice that we got was uh, Rue in her drugged up state. She When she gets home, she's she was already fucked up and then she pops what I can only describe as a dangerous amount of pills and she's living in some fantasy of hugging her father, but also hugging some priest who's accepting her and the choir singing. And it's this very powerful imagery. And she feels comforted by the drugs. That's really what's happening. Euphoria describes a lot of different things in the show. And I think it is a great name for it. But for Rue's character, it describes this state that she gets to where she's so disconnected from reality that she can't feel the pain. She just feels... The only emotion that her character feels is when she's in this heightened state of delusion and just drug being drugged out. It's super interesting. Uh, I have seen critiques of the series that they make drugs seem fun, and that's not not true. Um, <laughs> they do make it seem fun, but I do think that the series is closing in on a grander point that doing drugs is fucked up and only momentary bliss that will fuck you up much more past that. And Overall, I do get that tone from it. So I, I'm okay with the overall messaging of the series to this point. But yeah, that's going to bring our conversation to a close. That was Euphoria episode one through four of season two. What do you guys think about the season so far? Are you guys super hype and into Euphoria Sundays just like I am? I cannot wait for the next episode. And I haven't decided, am I going to do episode reviews at this point? Maybe I'll just do one more at the end of the season. Or maybe I'll do a collection of a couple episodes once they're all out. We'll see, but for sure I will be talking about the rest of Season 2 to some capacity, so definitely stick around for that. If you haven't already, give my Instagram and TikTok a, TikTok a follow. That's at The Darius Show on both of those platforms. I'd really appreciate any feedback you have for me, a follow, a share, whatever you got. It all helps in a big way. Thank you for listening to The Darius Show, and remember, I love you.